Man, 10 years is a long time. A decade. It's amazing how much can change over 10 years. I look a lot different. My family's different. What I do for a living is different in 10 years. I have a lot more gray. Christine, how long have we been together? Eight years. Had no gray eight years ago. I have a lot more gray. A lot of faces around here weren't here 10 years ago. Kylie and Betty were here 10 years ago. Who, who else was Chris and Tanya were here 10 years ago? Who Robin was here 10 years ago? Who else was here 10 years ago? Anybody? Raise your hand. Linda was here 10 years ago. How many of you were here on the old side of the building? Look at that. Not very many people. I'm good. Look, I, I, one thing that I'm good at as a pastor is running people off. But I, I remember when we started this church, when I was in no mental space to be pastoring a church. I had lost everything about a year and a half ago. I'd been on the front page of the paper. I had started one of the fastest growing churches in the country, lost it, stayed in the same community, and I was done with ministry. At that time in my life, I was making more money than I had ever made in my life. Life was good. Life was easy. And I had some kind of meeting. I don't know what kind of meeting it could have been because I've probably drinking six cups of coffee in my entire life. But I was sitting at Prominence Point at It's a Grind coffee shop. It's not even around anymore. And I was sitting outside meeting with somebody. Again, I don't know who I was meeting with. There was a drive-thru right there. And the window rolled down. It was Ashley and Dan Tamburino. And Dan, if you've ever met Dan, I probably in 14 years of being Dan's pastor have shared less than 100 words with him. He's a very quiet individual. He's the exact opposite of Ashley. In 14 years as Ashley's pastor, I have probably shared 28,987,213 words with her. And he rolled down the window and he said, hey. And I looked over and he had his hand out the window with a business card. He said, that's my phone number. It's probably time for you to start a church again. And when you do, call me. I'll be there. And the seed was planted to start a church. And I set some guidelines at that time on what it would take for me to start another church. At that time, my previous church was dragging their feet on finding a new pastor. And I had made the decision that I wouldn't start a church until they found a pastor. I just thought, how unfair. I had messed up, kind of done them wrong. And now they had been without leadership for a long time. And the people were getting restless. And I said, I'm not going to go start a church and have everybody jump ship there. So I said, they've got to have a pastor. They've got to have a clear vision on where they're going. My second requirement was I had to be financially stable. I was not going to allow anybody to say I started a church for the money because there's so much money in church. You know. And third of all, I said, man, I, I will never start a church unless there's a group of people who ask me to start a church. So all total, I had about 13 people that had come to me at various times and said, it's time for you to start a church. And so we started a Bible study. And we met in this little bitty room at the YMCA for about six weeks. And then we had our first service in the gym at the YMCA. And I think we had about three services at the YMCA. And the leadership of the YMCA came to me and said, hey, you can no longer meet here. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, off the record, so many people from your previous church have called and said they're going to pull their membership if we continue to allow you to meet here, that we can't take that financial hit. I said, okay. 
I said, so how long do I have? You know, I thought they'd give me 30 days. They said, well, you have till next week. So you mean I can meet next week? No. We mean like you're out. So we went to the Cherokee Arts Center in downtown Canton. They already had a church meeting there on Sunday mornings, and they allowed us to meet in the evenings. And we did that for about five or six weeks. Because it was the evening, I guess, that gave people time to drink. So we had a guy that was leading worship for us who didn't show up on Sunday. And he got a DUI on the way to lead worship. Perfect action church story. So we're meeting on Sunday nights, which is a horrible time to meet. Because even if you don't go to church, especially in the South, in your mind, church is Sunday morning. That's why Saturday night services don't work or Monday night services don't work. In the South, we think church, we think Sunday morning. So I knew I needed someone to lead worship. And I'd had this guy at my previous church that had come in and led worship for us about three or four times. But he was such a jerk. Jerk. I remember one morning he got mad and he kicked the microphone off the stage during rehearsal because we had so many services there. We had to be on a time schedule and we were very regimented. And he was such a jerk that I never thought about calling him because I didn't really know him that well. And then freaking Facebook has that little thing down there where it says, people you may know. Philip May. It's like, crap. i got to have somebody to sing. And I thought, well, I can get this guy in to sing for a couple of weeks and I'll find somebody else. So I send him a message. I'm like, hey, you might not remember me. Like, I said, man, would you like to come lead worship? I'll never forget his response. I remember you, and I'll come lead worship, but no one's going to tell me what to do. Well, when you're desperate, <laughs> okay. And so Phil came in for one Sunday, and the next week the art center came to us. They said, hey, you can't meet here anymore. I said, why? Now, they'd had a church meeting in there for years. Different churches had met there. Why can't we meet anymore? And they gave me some reasons on why we couldn't meet. And essentially, what I read through the grapevine or through their messages was they were getting so many phone calls about them allowing Gary Lamb to start a church in the building. They did give us, I think, two weeks to move out. But what they didn't tell us was during those two weeks, they had already decided to let Hollywood film a movie in the building. Some Disney movie. I can't, I can't remember the name of the movie now. Timothy Green or something like that. The kid was like a pencil. Like he worked in a pencil. He was a pencil, but he was a human. I don't remember what it was. So we met in the parking lot out there for two weeks. And then one day I'm driving through this part of town because we knew we wanted to be a church for the city in the city that was our non-negotiable. We weren't going to move to the outskirts of town, even though that's where all the golf course communities were being built and that was where all the money was. And I drove through here and the other side of the building was empty and it had a for lease sign on it. And we rented it for $1,000 a month and I thought, man, we are never going to be able to pay $1,000 a month. And I had never been in a church with a building. The first church I ever pastored was in Iowa, and we were portable. I started that church. And then, then I went on staff at a mega church that met in a high school running five, 6,000 people every week. And then my previous church never had a building. We met in the movie theater and schools and the conference center. And then we had started at the Y, and we were at the Art. I'd never had a building. I didn't know how that worked. I just thought you set up a sound system, and you started having church. I didn't know that you had to get permission to do construction. I didn't know you had to have architectural drawings if you were going to change electric and plumbing. And so we meet in there one day amongst all the freezers, because that was the freezer section of the grocery store. And we started demoing and pulling all the stuff out, and I show up and there's this big red tag on the door. I didn't know what the red tag was on the door. And I stay a little bit too busy. 
So I didn't read the red tag on the door. I pulled the red tag off the door. I thought it was a welcome sign. I didn't know. (laughs) Threw it on a table and forgot about the red tag on the door. Until the next Sunday, when miraculously the building inspector was working on a Sunday, even though his hours are 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Because so many people had called him about us meeting and told us we could no longer meet in the building. That was about June or July. I think we were calling ourselves, we weren't even calling ourselves Action Church at that time. C3 Church, which no one knew, even me, I could never remember what the three C's were. I just thought it sounded really cool. (laughs) You know, like, C3, that sounds cool. Like an energy drink. But I could never remember what they were, so I would preach on them, but they would change every week. (laughs) Thank God there's a lot of words that start with C. And we met in the parking lot. In July. In August. September. And then somehow we got some buses donated to us. I don't remember how we got buses donated to us. Oh, I remember what it was. There was a bunch of homeless people behind the building, and I was letting them sleep in the building, and that was illegal. You couldn't do that. So you had to have a permit to be a building. So I said, well, we have buses. And I, I don't let them sleep in the buses. They're just unlocked, and they get in the buses every night. And I, I don't have anything to do with that. I don't know why they have hardwood floors and cots in them. You know, and we would move them around because they're, you can't it can't keep a, a camper or bus in the same spot for seventy two hours. So I'd come out and move move them three or four spots over. And then it started to get cold, and so we would pull the buses on the side of the building over here and make a barricade to block the wind. And we would meet in the middle. We had a guy who had a landscape trailer, and we would meet on the back of the landscape trailer where the band was. It was really high tech. We did that in October and November. And it never rained in June, it never rained in July, it never rained in August, it never rained in September, it never rained in October, it never rained in November. And then the last Sunday of November, I remember it was the last Sunday in November, because the first series we ever did was called Merry Stressmas. And I started that the first Sunday in December. So the last Sunday in November, I taught a vision message, and that was our first Sunday inside the building over there. And our first Sunday in the building, it poured rain. It's coming down sideways. And we had no lobby, I guess you call it, foyer. And you had to go through the main area to get to the back of the area. So what you don't know is this used to be the frozen food section over here. And in the back is a loading dock with two commercial freezers back there. They didn't work. So we sheetrocked up the commercial freezers. We took one room and put carpet in it, and then you went outside the back door where there's like 30 homeless people, and you walked right into a school bus that we had turned into the kids' area. We didn't tell parents that. No. We had a bunch of bikers going here, so they would rotate working outside security. And it was funny, first time guests, the kids would leave like, man, they love the school bus theme. I'm like, there ain't no school bus theme, they're on a school bus. <laughs> like, you just check them in through the door, and they go into Neverland back there to the school bus. The school bus was awesome until about July, and it was like 130 degrees inside the school bus, and we were literally cooking kids. And we just grew, and we grew, and we grew, and we grew, and God blessed. And we prayed and prayed and prayed for this side of the building. And the owner would never give us this side of the building. He was an older gentleman, and he was convinced that Publix was going to come along and open this up, and there was going to be a Publix in the ghetto. And then a haunted house moved in here, and then finally, it had been empty for about eight months, and I came in, and the ceilings were caved in because no one had been here and known about it. And it freaked him out enough that he knew someone needed to be in the building, and he gave us this building. And we renovated this entire building. I, I, I remember the exact number was $25,000. We put bathrooms in, then we put half walls. You couldn't put full walls up because then you would block sprinklers, and that was going to cost way more money to move sprinklers. We built this stage, and God has just blessed over and over and over. 
In 10 years, we've baptized over 1,000 people in a horse trough. Marriages have been restored. Addicts have become clean. I think that we are single-handedly responsible for the church growth of every other church in town because we run them off and they go to other churches. I've got a buddy of mine that pastors in Woodstock, and I say, your church ought to pay me. I bring more people into your church than you do. Because birds of a feather flock together. So, you know, when one leaves, the whole crew leaves with them. Yeah, did I say that? But as much as things change in 10 years, I can say that I am proud that the vision of this church has never changed. It has never wavered. The way the vision has been implemented has changed. We never are a church that does stuff just to do it. We started out doing a huge back-to-school carnival every year. We would give away thousands upon thousands of book bags because no other church in town was doing it. Then other churches started doing it. There was no longer a need, so we quit doing it. We do Thanksgiving Someone told me this year, they said, you know how many other churches are doing it? It made me evaluate from us. Well, maybe next year we won't do it. There's not a need. And then in two and a half hours, we gave away all the meals. And I said, well, there's still a need. We helped people with Christmas. And it's changed. We've done so, we've run a shelter for a while. And then the need for that kind of went away. And we kind of run it when there's extreme emergency situations and we don't. But the vision's never changed to live out our name, to love God, love people, and to take action. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. I, I think this is one of the most telling verses in all the Bible, and not just for churches, but for people, for individuals, for marriages, for parenting, for your finances, for your career, for your purpose, for whatever it is. When you have no vision in whatever aspect of your life, you have no vision. That's the area of your life where you're literally dying. And we see it in churches all over this county. Last time I checked, there was 937 churches in our county. And you can drive around to a lot of these churches that at one time were thriving and they were growing. And it might have been they started in the 20s or the 30s or the 40s or the 50s. They were started because there were a need and they built buildings because there was a need. And now literally some of these churches have five, ten. 15, 20 people showing up. And it's not because they're bad people, but it's because over time they got comfortable. Instead of becoming a movement, they became a monument. Say, so what's that, Gary? A monument is something you go from the past and you idolize it. You build it up to remember how good things used to be. And their buildings have become monuments. And the way they've always done things have become monuments. And they're more interested in the way things have always been instead of the way things could be. At one time, they were a movement, and they were changing their community. They were ministering to people, and they were reaching people, and they got comfortable. And the worst thing a movement can do is become comfortable. When there is no vision, the people perish. Love God, love people, and take action. It really is that simple. As long as I'm the pastor, those three things will never change. When we're celebrating 15 years, it will be love God, love people, and take action. And it might look different than it looks now, but it'll be love God, love people, and take action at 20 years and 25 years. I plan on preaching my last sermon here, walking off the stage, closing my eyes and going to heaven when I'm 137 years old. Back at 2-2 says, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain. I think that's key. We live in a day and time where those that do have vision have complicated the vision. 
I'm not, again, every church is different. I don't answer for the church, but it's weird to me when I see churches and they're like, these are our, our 12 core values or these are our 15 codes that we live by. And we're, Listen, here's what we do. We love God, the greatest commandment, and then we love people, the second, but it's like the first, because you can't love God without loving people, and you can't love people without loving God. They're interchangeable. But instead of talking about it, we just take action with it. He said, write the, the Lord answered, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. This is the key right here. That he who run, may run who reads it. It's not enough just to have vision. Vision gets us excited. Vision gets us pumped up. I love to start companies. I know you find that shocking. I only own 737 different companies. And I love to start a company and name a company and brand a company and create a company and create buzz around a company because that's exciting. It's like a junkie, man. It's the ultimate high. But after you do all that, you got to take some action with the vision that you have or all you have is a vision. And a vision without action is simply a dream. Dreams come and dreams go. Visions stay forever. It says write the vision and make it plain that those who hear the vision can run with the vision. Action Church is what it is, not because of me. It is what it is in spite of me. Action Church is what it is because God gave us a vision. He uses some redneck to communicate the vision. But you run with the vision. We're the body of Christ. No part of the body is more important than another part of the body. Gary, do you want to lose your toe or your finger? Neither. Big fan of all ten toes. Big fan of all ten fingers. You want to lose your right ear? Neither. I like both ears. They're a little big. I get it. But I don't want to lose them. What tooth? Do I, I, don't, I like all my teeth. Big fan of them. Okay? I don't want to lose any part of my body. I don't want to lose the leg. I want to be healthy and whole. And everybody here is vital to what we do here. If you're a greeter at the door, you're vital. You're the first impression people see. Did you know that studies show a first-time attender to a church makes up their mind in the first three and a half minutes if they're ever returning? Do you know they've never heard the music after three and a half minutes? They haven't decided they don't like the preacher after three and a half minutes. They just decide, man, do I feel comfortable in this place? And if you're trying to make a good first impression at Action Church, you're more vital than any other church in this county because here's the deal. It ain't a real good impression when you pull in the parking lot. Half the signs blown away out there by the road. Every Sunday morning because of the bar down there, there's used condoms in the parking lot. Busted beer bottles in the parking lot. Blood from where they fall in the parking lot. I pulled in this morning and the trash was literally overflowing onto the ground. Parking lot has potholes in it. For about six months, the parking lot had a hole in it about half the size of this auditorium. We had a sinkhole in the parking lot. You pull in here at night until about three months ago, there was no lights in the parking lot. You pull in sometimes on Sunday morning and there are be a drunk person sleeping at the front door. You walk into this building and the floor is nappy and gross, clean, but it's gross. It's so stained. The chairs don't match. There's black curtains that are falling apart on the side. What I'm saying is it doesn't make a great first impression. It ain't the fanciest place you've ever seen. 
Yeah, we got disco stuff on the poles because they were here when the grocery store was here and you can't take them off. It's weird. We ain't changed this tape in six years. I don't even know why we, I guess I don't fall off the stage. Like I get off this stage because I preach barefoot. I ain't going to lie to you. My feet are black on Sunday morning because it's so dirty. No, I ain't changing now. This is a good luck rug. Good luck underwear. Good luck pants. Good luck rug. What I'm saying is, man, you think you're just standing at the door to stand at the door. No, you're making a first impression. I love all of you, but they got to walk through 30 smokers to get into the building. Kylie's probably out there talking about some woman's butt who just walked in. You know? He's probably cussing Darren out. You had to walk through that. I don't know what's going on out there, but whatever's going on out there, it just ain't. See, the problem with action is we're too real to know you're supposed to fake it on Sunday morning. So first impressions has their job cut out for. And then you go to check your kids in, man, that ought to be the nicest place ever. And the carpet's rolling up and there's no border and it's disgusting. There's carpet glue everywhere because we don't have any carpet people to fix it. I don't know how to fix it. And then they go behind the wall. And when you go behind the wall in the kids' area, the last two nights has been about 250 people meeting for AA on Friday night and Saturday night. And though our cleaning crew does an amazing job, they come before the AA meeting, so it's not the greatest smell that your kids get to hang out in over there. I'm not letting my kids go over there now. Well, that's fine. They've survived, though, trust me. We're creating immunity over there to any virus that futurely comes. First impression is important, but then you have people over there that love kids. We have a new person here at the church. We've been here about six months named Carmen. And she's so crazy and mentally unstable that she wants to work in the kids' area. It's weird to me. And comes down here week after week and decorates the kids' area and makes it look kitty, I guess what you call that. And then Abby works over there. Abby used to sleep. She slept through the first five years of church services on Sunday morning in that table down there. And now she's literally the most responsible person over there. Shows up and serves. And when Joe posts someone can't, she's, I'll, I'll take care of it. And the best part is she helps me call out her mom. That's my favorite part about her. She puts Nancy in her place all the time. And then Nancy and Scott, you guys have been here since day one. Yeah, Nancy and Scott have been here since day one. The only time me and Phil almost came to blows in the parking lot was over Nancy. Because I made her cry. I've made her cry 78 times since then, but that was the only time Phil knew about it, I think. What I'm telling you is, is hey, those who read the vision make it happen. I don't talk about money a lot, but those of you that give, you make the vision happen. It just is what it is. There's bills due here. And feeding people costs money. And providing heat for those that have addictions to meet in costs money. And man, you guys sacrificially give all the time. Never ceases to amaze me. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain. That he may run who reads it. It's not my job to make the vision here happen. It's our job to make the vision happen. It's our job to invest in the lives. We call it investing in the lives. You invest in the lives of your unchurched friends and family. You invite them to church, and we'll make sure they hear about a God who loves them, a God who died for them, and a God who has a purpose for their life. It's a teamwork here. That's why we don't do membership here. Someone told me literally, I'd like to become a member. There is no membership. Why? Because when you become a member somewhere, you expect benefits from it. When I joined the country club, and for the record, I'm not part of a country club. They would not accept me. But when you join a country club, you get benefits of being part of the country club. The only club that I'm part of is Sam's Club. 
But because I am part of that exclusive club, I can go buy four huge things to catch up at one time. I get benefits from being a member. Now I'm even bougie. I'm a member of Sam's Club and Costco. Mm-hmm. Can't hide money. You say, why? Because let me tell you what I found out Costco has. This is how more bougie I am. Costco, one reason and one reason only. You know what I'm fixing to say, don't you? They have these rotisserie chickens. So does Sam's. But Costco takes all the meat off the rotisserie chicken and packages it. So it's a package of rotisserie chicken goodness that I don't have to get nasty and take the bones off of. It's there ready to be devoured. It's worth the $60 a year for that chicken. I'm a member of Sam's Club for only one reason, the cookies. I'm not going into that again. My point is, when you become a member somewhere, you expect benefits of membership. We don't do membership because you lose your benefits when you decide this is home. It no longer becomes about you. It's no longer about me. It's about reaching this community with the message of Jesus Christ. So we don't do membership. And the other reality is membership sounds like something I have to be more organized in and keep up with, and we don't do that very well. That he may run who read. Now check this out, this is the good part. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. The vision here hasn't been fulfilled. The starting of it has been amazing. What we've seen is incredible. But we ain't seen nothing yet. I haven't shared this story in a while, so I'm going to share it. All you old timers are going to roll your eyes. Anybody have a southern granny? I'm talking about a southern granny. I'm talking about she knew how to cook in the kitchen, granny. There wasn't no processed stuff. I'm talking about she went in there and she had like the lard and she'd make the biscuits. I mean, she didn't open up a can of green beans. Them green beans cooked all day because she snapped them with love and threw some, threw some ham in there and some bacon in there, and they just were amazing. And then granny on Sunday would make that meal. You know the meal I'm talking about? But Granny couldn't just do one meat. So Granny would have mashed potatoes. Homemade mashed potatoes. Ladies, I don't mean this in an offensive way. Did you know you can make mashed potatoes that don't come out of a box? I mean, they're, they're, I, I like a little lump in mine. Like a little, mm. I like them green beans that have had that bacon in them. And then she makes some fried chicken that'd make you slap your mama. But then my granny wouldn't just make fried chicken because you might not like chicken. So it'd be fried chicken and meatloaf. She'd make two meats. She would hold another level. She'd make these cat head biscuits. Who knows what a cat head biscuit is? Like when it's all, listen, I don't know about, I, I, the only woman I know that, I'm sure there's more women than this. I feel, I feel like Tammy could probably cook like this. She can sing country, she could cook like this. But Misty Martin, and cook like this. I'm sure there's other women I know, but I'm just saying, I know them, them two could probably do it. But I'm talking about them cat head biscuits. And we'd eat, and we'd eat, and we'd eat. And then Granny would get up and clear the table. Except she would take your plate, and she'd take your bowl, and she'd take your knife, and she'd take your spoon. But she'd always leave us with our fork. Well, you get excited. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Because the fried chicken was good. And the meatloaf was good. I'm talking about meatloaf with ketchup, not barbecue sauce. Paul, how many of you put barbecue sauce on the top of your meatloaf? Raise your hand, Christine Lamb. Raise it now. Lou, you put barbecue sauce on your meatloaf? How many of you put ketchup on your meatloaf? Look at, look at these people who love the Lord. Now listen, I'm talking about the meatloaf was good, and the green beans were good, and the gravy, not only brown gravy, but white gravy, because granny was holding another level. 
But when she left the fork, you knew the best was yet to come. Because you knew she's about to bring out dessert. My granny made a seven-layer chocolate cake that was only six layers, so I was always confused why we called it seven layers. And I would ask the question, and, and I'd get pinched under the table like that was a sore subject. I don't know if we lost like a pan along the way or what happened. But she'd punch holes in this. Ch- and by the way, I ain't talking about a cake from a box. I'm talking about a cake made with love. She punched holes in it, and then she make this hot chocolate stuff. And by hot, I don't mean spicy. I just mean hot. And she'd pour it over one layer, and it would go down in the holes. And in a second, anyway, it was just, I feel like it, like if angels blew you a kiss, that's what it would taste like. But Grady knew you might not like chocolate cake because you might not be right with God. So she would either make, because I guess this was a fruit in the southern world, I don't know. So you either got apple pie or banana pudding. <laughs> that was healthy. And I ain't talking about this fake banana pudding either. I'm talking about real banana pudding. I don't got time to break all that down. But the point is, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. My point is this. We have seen some amazing things. But hold your fork. Because we ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. I've seen people recently. I get excited when people leave our church. Not because I want people to leave our church. Let me make that clear. Because I know that's God's way of pruning. And God's about to do something. Look around. We literally thought, this is not, I I talked about this on a podcast today. I literally thought we were going to shut our doors when COVID hit. I said, there's no way this church survives this. They were talking about how the mega churches weren't going to survive it. How's the little church in the ghetto going to survive it? And yet we've grown and grown and grown. And here's what scares me a little bit. Like good people coming in and healthy people coming in and non-drama people coming in for the vision is yet for an appointed time. So write the vision and make it plain that he may run who reads it so we can make the vision happen. Why? Because it might not be yet for a point time, but the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. What he's saying is keep working at the vision because listen, the vision hasn't happened yet. We're in phase one of the vision. There will be a day that so many people are coming through the doors of this church, not because we have advertised this church, not because we have marketed this church, not because we have conformed to the world in this church, but because people are now looking, they're walking away from religion. They're walking away from the show of church. They're walking away from the business of church, and they're wanting something authentic, and they're wanting something real, and they're wanting something that's impacting people's life, and they want a place where they can come as they are and be accepted as they are. They are. You think this is just something you do on Sunday morning? No, 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 no. We were appointed for a time such as this. If there was ever a church that God created for the time that we're in in our country, it was this church. So I said all that to say this. I just want to give you some reminders on what we do around here. It's going to be short. We're going to get out of here. But I basically pulled up the sermon from 10 years ago. I changed the words around. I added one more thing to the end because it's kind of been added in the last little bit. I want to remind you of what we do as a church. The first thing we do is we celebrate together. I understand that this... This gathering on Sunday morning is not the church. I'm not stupid. We are the church, and we go into the communion. We're the church. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. But make no mistake about it, the Bible talks over and over and over and over again about the power of the local church. We live in a day and time where the thing now is not to attend church. I don't have to attend church to be a Christian. You're damn straight. You don't have to attend church to be a Christian. I get that. I'm not stupid. But you show me a soldier without an army. 
You show me, what do you do, man? I'm a football player. What team do you play for? I don't play for a team. Then you're not a football player. If you want to be the Christ follower that God created you to be, you better have a group of people you're doing life with. And he left the local church to carry out his vision and his mission. He did not leave individuals. You know why? Because I can only reach so many people. I'm only going to impact so many people. The people that I don't connect with, Chris will connect with. And the people Chris don't connect with, uh, Darren will connect with. And the people that Darren don't connect with, Paul will connect with. And and the people that Paul don't connect with, Kristen will connect with. And, and, And together we have this web that reaches more people. But we come together and we celebrate. We get a recharge every week. That's why we do what we do around here. That's the emphasis of what we do on Sunday. It's just to come together as a pep rally to go out into the week and be the church in our community. We will never get rid of this part of what we do. In my mind, it is the most vital part of what we do because this is the cog that leads out into feeding people. This is the cog that leads out into into community clinics. This is the cog that goes out into clothing people. This is the cog that goes out into reaching addicts. The Bible says in Psalms 122.1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. This is the highlight of my week being here. To see your faces is the highlight of my week. As much as you drive me crazy and I drive you crazy, man, we're family. And you know the great thing about this family? We got to choose this family. You don't get to choose your real family. You're stuck with them. We got to choose this one. Why? Because we kind of like each other. We dig each other. We have the same Vision with each other. Say, Gary, but, but do we need to assemble? I just think it's so vital to assemble. And I, I am never going to be that preacher that beats you up when you miss a service. I miss services all the time. I have a life. And I'm the preacher. But never doubt the power of gathering together. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but we're to exhort one another. This is a place we come together and we encourage each other. Hey, instead of gossiping about their divorce, how about we exhort them in that? Instead of gossiping about the relapse, we exhort and encourage each other in the relapse. Instead of gossiping about the hard times, we exhort one another. And then what it says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day approaching? The end times. So what it's saying is, the closer we get to the end, and guess what you say, Gary, when's the end? I don't know when the end is, but here's what I know. We're closer today than we were yesterday. As it starts to come, and the way I see things happening in our society, man, good God, it can't be that far away. We're to do this even more. I don't know if there's ever been a time like the last year to have, and I'm not being political. I'm just saying the craziness of our world where I needed the exhorting of one another and the power of my church family than ever before. You think it's a coincidence that the way the world operates when things happen is to distance from each other when God says, no, 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 no. Gather and assemble together all the more. We need to exhort each other. You can't exhort each other through Snapchat. Facebook Messenger, they have a place, I guess, if you want to send your ding-a-ling to somebody, get on Snapchat. I don't know how it works. There's purposes in all those things. You can encourage each other, but you can't have all. So normally I write out all my notes in a manuscript form, and when Tanya sees them like this, Tanya makes she's like, oh, Lord. He's just going to freestyle the whole day. Ding-a-ling gets thrown in. I'm sorry. But there's power in assembling together. This will always be a celebration. I've said this from day one. It, it, it doesn't happen. It happens one time a year, Christmas Eve. 
But I said, really, what ought to happen every Sunday morning is there ought to be a tailgating party out there. I want to come in and see pop-up tents and smokers going and people grilling and people fired up, excited about coming to the house of God. Now, if you've never been part of our, our Christmas Eve service, it's a celebration. You say, what happens, man? I'm, I'll be talking about it in the coming weeks. They start lining up in the parking lot hours before. There's food and candy and sweets and bourbon and vodka and tequila. And, man, it's the most active circle. Everybody's half drunk. I don't know. But they're excited about what's about to happen. So we're always going to celebrate together. Second thing, don't ever, don't ever lose sight of this. We're going to care for our community. That's why we exist. I'm not responsible for other churches. Every church has its own vision that they've got to make plain that he who runs with it can read it and it will not carry blah, 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 blah. We care for our community. We love the unlovable. When the unlovable take advantage of us, we still love the unlovable. That doesn't mean we don't put up boundaries and we don't put up guards, but we love people right where they're at. We will always be the church as long as I am the pastor that when we see a need, we'll do whatever's in our power to meet the need. We will feed people. We will clothe people. We'll provide. Someone asked me that, says, that clinic pay you to use your parking lot? For what? It's a parking lot. It's empty. Right over here on the other side of this wall over here, if you were to pull it down right now, is a dance studio. Say, why? Here's why. Because a couple in our community started a dance studio. And they had an agreement through October in the place they were meeting in, but they're building a brand new place at the mill. And because of all that's going on construction-wise, the place at the mill is about three and a half months behind schedule, but their contract was up in October, and they wouldn't let them stay for three and a half more months. Family trying to support themselves, living their dream and chasing and they had no place to go. Well, guess what we had over there? A place. So every Sunday, we tear down the curtain, and if you were back there, there'd be all the, I don't know what dance people do. It's way frou-frou. I don't understand. They were like, maybe it's a way of saying thank you, we'll come dance for you. So I said, No. You just dance. We don't need you to dance for us. And some of the day asked me a question. How much are you charging them? I'm not charging them anything. They're in our community. We had something they could use. Our job is to care for the community. We do what we can when we can. We could do that, so we did it. That's called being the hands and feet of Jesus. I never understood churches building multi-million dollar buildings to get used one day a week. We have this building. It should be used every day of the week for whoever has a need. The Bible says in Acts 2.45, this is when the local church got started. It says they sold their property and their possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. It's not saying we should go sell our property and our possessions. But what it's saying is, is we should do whatever we can to meet the needs of people. When someone's hurting, we meet those needs. It's backed off the last couple of years because nothing irritates me more. It's why we go to the nth extreme to make sure whoever gets helped on Christmas, their name doesn't get out. People are like, I don't know, they need help. You see, I saw them eating at Bojangles the other day. Do they really need help? God forbid they ate a freaking biscuit. Got money for cigarettes. Give a crap what they got money for. Their kids ain't going without Christmas. Not on my watch. We'll stroke a check and pay for it all if there's an issue with it. We've been blessed enough to do that. We're letting you in on the blessing of being a blessing. Why? Because that's what we do as a church. We've been blessed so we can bless others. You can't take it with you when you go. And I sure ain't leaving it to my kids to blow. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this. 
look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Religion sucks. It's polluted. It's dirty. It's man-made. The religion that God looks at is takes care of the orphans and the widows and takes care of those that are in need. Let me get on my hobby horse for an issue for a minute. It's not the government's job to take care of people. But the government has to take care of people because the church isn't doing its job of taking care of people. They say 2% of people who attend church give to a church. You know, if people were faithful in their giving, we could end hunger. We could end homelessness. Nobody in the world would go to bed without clean drinking water. But we're selfish. We're greedy. The government stepped up when the church didn't, and the government screwed it up. Oh, did I say that? And the government screwed it up. And now we have a bunch of self-titled people who think it's the government's job to take care of them. But that ought to be the church's job. And it's the church's fault for the self-entitlement of people looking at the government. Because the church quit doing what they were supposed to do. The church became more interested in the show of church. Let's build our kingdoms. We've got to have our 60-acre plots and our $5.6 million gyms and our $25 million. And I'm not against any of those things. But the point is, when those become the focus, instead of helping the orphans and the widows and those in need, the church has lost sight of something. What happens if we lose the building gear? We lose it, we'll find somewhere else, and we'll serve the community there. Newsflash, we don't really need 32,000 square feet. We just have it. We just have it. I already had it set up at the Shuffle Inn before they closed down. Good thing it didn't work out that way. If this closed down, we'd meet in the bar. I don't care. We'll meet wherever because we're not a building. We're a movement to reach our community for Canton, for Woodstock, for Holly Springs, for Jasper, for Pickett, for wherever. That's why we exist. I was over at the mill yesterday, and you ought to see this tent they put up for this ice skating rink. You don't think I didn't have that guy pulled off to the side? I said, how much are these tents? Well, you can find a used one. About 60000 He said, cash speaks. I said, man, that thing's big. I'm shaking it. It's like drove into the ground. He said, you can get air conditioning units for it. Oh, that's a must. We ain't got to have, we ain't got to have bathrooms. But we're going to have some AC. I got a great friend who owns a Porter John company. And I'm thinking to myself, huh. I mean, Chip told me he got land in, in Jasper. He just shoots guns on it. I throw a tent up on there and not even ask him. We'll meet in a tent. And then I think, huh, what I think can't. So you don't think I called some friends of mine that own a haunted house that gets used once a year and said, hey, I got to set up a tent in your parking lot, can I? Yeah. We don't care. I said, okay, cool. We care about the building. We care about caring for the community. We'll meet in a tent if we have to. You say, well, I want one if I don't. There's plenty of churches that don't meet in a tent you can go to. My point is, we'll meet wherever we need to meet. This tent was bad to the bone. Like, I want to meet in a tent now. I ain't going to lie to you. The tent was nicer than this building. Not that that's saying much. Bubba's like, that band would be loud in that tent. Like, I'm going to be a serious. I'm like, well, it'll be loud, then we'll turn it down. <laughs> We're going to care for the community. I, I can I tell you a little secret? I operate in chaos. I don't want to lose the building, so let me make that very clear. But I got a little bit excited. A 
about the possibility of losing the building. About what was next. They had a couple of people like, I'm a construction person. It's like, oh, we built out the tent. I don't know, I got all kinds of plans for the tent. But we're going to care for our community. You know something else we're going to do as a church? We're going to care less what the critics say. So many verses, I don't even got any to share with you. There's too many of them. Let me make this very clear to you. I don't want this to come across as confrontational, but I want you to hear my heart in it. We don't give two rips what people say about this church. And neither should you. We know the heart of this church. We know the intent of this church. I'm not comparing us to Jesus, but they criticize Jesus too. Point being, you can live your life perfect and they'll still criticize you. I don't like the way y'all do this. Well, how do you do it? Well, we don't. Well, I like our way better. If they're not criticizing us, I get nervous and start to itch. And think to myself, man, what do I got to do to get them back on? We must be off course. I need them to roll with the criticism. Because if we're doing something that's not making the religious mad, then we're not doing something right. Did you hear what they do down there? I heard blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we do all that. Because we're a church full of humans. And there's people in this church that are going to drink too much and smoke too much and have sex with other people too much and have marriages that fall apart and have rebellious kids and do whatever it is the church says you can't do. And guess what? That's called being human and let them criticize it. We're just going to love each other. And most of the time, the critics were the ones you helped the most. They wasn't criticizing when they were getting help. We don't care. I was in an interview the other day. They wrote about me in the Tribune. The guy, he said, because you genuinely don't seem to care about the negativity. I said, it's not that I don't care. I said, but man, I've just learned no matter what I do, they criticize it. When I had the illusion of the first wife and the perfect marriage and the big church and was doing nothing to rock the boat, they criticized me. You can't win for losing, so why do you care? Some of you need to quit caring. And those of you are like, I don't care. No, you care the most. You just don't, I don't care. Did you hear what so-and-so said? It's none of my business what other people's opinions are of me. It's none of my opinion what people say about this church. I don't care. I heard it yesterday. You know, it's a pastor that runs this. No, it's not. It's Gary who runs this. I'm just the pastor here. I can wear many hats. The low-hanging fruit always loves to come along. Oh, the pastor. No, we don't care what the critics say. If if they don't like the music, they ain't got to come. If they don't like the preaching, they ain't got to come. If they don't like the vision, if they don't like... It is what it is. Quit worrying about them. Critics are the greatest tool of the devil. I got to get done. Hey, listen, 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 listen. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to care for the community. We're going to care less what the critics say. Hey, those three points I preached 10 years ago. Here's the next one I added. I'm going to be real careful on how I word stuff here, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. We're going to continue to follow God, not man. There's never been a day in time where there's an attack on the things of God like the days that we live in. We will never, ever answer to man. Joshua 24, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable, you then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Were the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I owe this church an apology. And I'm telling you, it will never happen again. Do not read into this politically. It has nothing to do with politics. But when they told everyone to shut down, 
We did that for about four weeks. We didn't really because we left the doors open and you all kept coming because you're stubborn. We'll never shut the doors of this church again because man tells us to. In every sense of the word, it goes against the principles that God said to assemble together. That doesn't mean we'll be flipping about stuff. It doesn't mean we'll ignore um, sickness and viruses that are on our side. We'll, we'll take precautions. We did one way in, one way out. We so, I tried to social distance. Y'all don't listen. Had chairs spread all out. Y'all put them together. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing anything. But here's what I, here's what I believe, though. Don't, I do believe this. That's not the first time they're going to try to shut down the church. Not because they, they're both sides. Let me make that very clear. Both sides. Because the Bible says it will get worse and worse. Go read Revelation. They want to wipe out the local church because the local church carries out the mission of God. Now, if you're ever in a situation where you feel like you shouldn't come and you're uncomfortable, by all means, stay home. No one here will judge you. But as for me, I'll be here. I can't speak for the band. I would ne- they do whatever they want to do. When I said we're starting back up, me and Phil don't always agree. Phil said, we talked. We had big discussions. I don't agree. I don't think we should. I said, hey, cool, man. I'll just preach the whole time. We won't have, no, I'll be there Sunday. (laughs) We took precautions. We we, we stayed out. We didn't mingle. We will never, if society ever says what we can and we can't preach on, we'll preach what God tells us to preach on. We'll never be told what we can do and we can't do. We will follow God. If the church becomes more and more carnal, which it seems like the church is, we will follow God. I don't care about church trends. The other side of that, the church becomes more and more religious, we'll follow God and not religion. We will be God-led at this church. We're in the process of putting elders back in place. We are. Scott Farley has been an elder at this church. We said, I didn't know that. You don't need to know it. Scott Farley has been an elder at this church for eight years now. Others have moved on. It's time to put more people in place. And we're, we're in the process of doing that. Doug Knight, Chip, we're, we're putting people, David Wester, we're putting people in place. Well, what about me? There might be a reason you're not. It might not be a bad reason. I can't make Darren an elder. Me and him are two good friends. Got to have people that don't like me. I can't put other people, because I can't put Bubba as an elder. Bubba's one of my best friends. I tell Bubba, man, we're going to do it. Let's do it! Got to have some people that are going to tell me no every now and then. But you can bet assured that those are people that are going to make sure that we're trusting God in everything that we do. That understand we follow God, not man. And by man... I mean no man, no government, no denomination, no traditions. So if you're one of those people right now that said Gary got political today, you're getting political. Because I'm not. I don't give a crap if you bleed red, blue, whatever. I don't care who you voted for. Any, Don't care. You're welcome here. So let me make, I, I'm about as even kill. I personally have my beliefs, and I will never quit sharing them. But no one can ever say I've used this pulpit to be political. Because I have not. So when I say man, it doesn't mean government only. We will follow God. And because I don't want to even say, cults have one leader that hears from God. So we're putting people in place. Someone said, you need some guard dogs. No, I don't need any guard dogs. But a leader needs guardrails. They start to drift over, that guardrail bumps them back over. Someone said, you only want yes men. Uh Uh-huh. 
I don't want just yes men, but I want reality men. Here's what I mean by that. And I've used this story. I'm going to be done, I promise. I know we're going long. It's 10-year anniversary. If I tell you I want to land a 747 in that parking lot, don't tell me it can't be done. Because it can be. Now, come to me and say, now, Gary, land a 747 in that parking lot. We're going to have to buy about 350 acres around this church. You're going to have to apply to the FAA, and it's going to take 25 years for them to approve this as an airport. You're going to have to get permission from the city to rezone it. In the end, Gary, it's going to cost you $9.7 billion in 30 years of your life to live in 747 out there. But, Gary, we can do it. Give me the reality. And I'm going to look at you and be like, no, we ain't going to land 747 there. We don't care. So I, I, don't, I, I want yes men. I don't want anybody to tell me something can't be done. But I want reality men. We can do it, but we follow God. I love this church. I did a funeral the other day, and the guy at the funeral home told me, he said, man, I'm glad you stuck it out. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I remember that rumor three years ago you was about to shut it down. I said, really? I didn't hear that rumor. He goes, you weren't about to shut it? I said, I'm not shutting this thing down. God won't let me shut this thing down. I joke, y'all are my punishment in life. I'm yours. Listen, I want you to hear something. I'm more committed to this church than I've ever been in my life. My family's more committed to this church. I don't know what the future holds. Ten years from now, God might say it's time to move and let somebody younger have it. I don't know. I'll be old then. I'm old now. But I'm as committed that I have no intention of leaving. I love being your pastor and I'm proud of what this church does. We're going to celebrate together, care for our community, care less what the critics say. Can you follow God? Here's the deal. Hold your fork. The best is yet to come.